Wow, thank you ladies. Thank you for that message and song. Philippians chapter number one tonight, and we've been going through just looking at various things. What do you do when? And uh, last week we looked at what do you do when you go through a storm? And um, tonight I want us to take another approach to something similar. We'll be looking at Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 18. So I invite you to stand if you would please with me and Look at verses 12 through 18, Philippians chapter 1. Paul writes, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. That one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Look back at verse 12. But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me. There were some things that happened to Paul. And he referred to them as simply things which happened unto me. And I want to preach tonight on that thought. What do you do with the things that happen to you? Or what do you focus on when you're going through life and things are happening to you. What is happening with your happenings? What's happening with your happenings? Paul's going to tell us about his. Let's look at it tonight. Thank you. Please be seated. Jim McLaren couldn't get a break. 22 years old, this Yale graduate seemed to have everything going for him. He excelled in his studies as a pro football player and an actor. But one dismal, balmy night, his motorcycle was hit by a 20-ton bus. He was thought to be dead on arrival at the hospital, but the heroic efforts of the emergency room staff saved his life, and he recovered mostly, for Jim lost his left leg below the knee. He didn't let that stop him, however. He spent the next eight years becoming one of the best one-legged athletes in the world. Within the first year, his brutal rehab regimen had him ready to compete in 10K races at 6.21 miles. He set new records for disabled athletes in the 
New York, and the Boston Marathons. Then when things seemed to be going well, disaster struck again. While Jim was competing in a triathlon in Los Angeles in 1993, a van was mistakenly allowed onto the street where the bicyclists were riding. The van hit Jim head on. It flung his body across the street and into a lamppost. The impact snapped his neck and Jim was left paralyzed. Now, he's confined to a wheelchair living in constant pain. The nerves to his arms and legs were not completely severed. So it left him subject to spastic fits. After being in a steel halo for three months, he began a new course of rehabilitation at a special center in Colorado. And after just six months, he was living independently and he's giving motivational speeches. But then depression set in. When he came to realize that he's never going to be free from pain, no matter how hard he worked, and he realized he would never walk again. Now, Jim won a $3.8 million settlement for the accident, upon which he moved to Hawaii. But soon thereafter, he became addicted to cocaine and he wallowed in self-pity. One night as he rolled in his wheelchair down a street where he had once raced in marathons, he simply looked up to the sky and he yelled, Why are you doing this to me? Now in Philippians chapter 1, Paul finds himself in somewhat of a mess. He's in jail. He was arrested. He was arrested for preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's awaiting his hearing and his verdict. And in verse number 12, he expresses, I want you to know, dear brothers, that some things have happened to me and it's really served to advance the gospel. And so Paul acknowledged some things did happen to him, some things that were unplanned, unwanted, and unpleasant. Have you ever had any unplanned, unwanted, or unpleasant things happen to you? His focus, however, Paul's focus was not on the ordeal. Rather, Paul's focus was on the outcome. The problem is when you put your focus on the ordeal that you're going through and you're short-sighted that you miss what God is trying to accomplish in the outcome. It was not about what happened to Paul, but rather Paul's emphasizing for us, it's about what happened to what happened to Paul. See, things happen to Christians all the time. Things happen to good people all the time. You don't have to do wrong for things to happen to you. Adverse things happen to faithful Christians. But things never just happen. Look beyond what happens to you. Trust the Lord who rules over you and trust Him to work through the circumstances of your life. 
What do you focus on? What do you do when things are happening to you? Well, what is it that was Paul's focus? I want to tell you two things that Paul's focusing on, two things that you and I ought to focus on when things happen. Unplanned, unwanted things. When things creep into your life and they're unpleasant, what to focus on? Number one, focus on the fact that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. You know, in your life and in mine, I was reminded of this just recently talking with um, my friend Bob Beal, and he was reminding me of the fact that God is sovereign, man is responsible. What man is responsible for, let us do. What we're not responsible for, we trust God in his sovereignty. God is sovereign. God is sovereign in that he is powerful. And he's authoritative to the extent that he's able to override all other powers and influences and authorities. In other words, God is sovereign. Nothing's going to stop God. God can do anything. Election night didn't disrupt any of God's plans at all. Nothing that anyone can do can ever take God off his throne. There have been many to run against God. No one is ever going to unseat God. He is God. The Lord is on his throne. What does that mean? That means he's sovereign. I'm thankful for that today. I'm thankful that the Lord is still in charge. You say, well, why are all these things happening if God is still in charge? Well, a lot of things happen because you still have a will and a responsibility. And there are a lot of things we're going through we've done, we've created. You say, there are things that I'm going through I have no control over. And trust God's sovereignty. God's in charge. God's still on the throne. Last time we'll, you'll ever check, he'll still be God no matter what. Nothing can successfully stop any act of God, any event of God, any design or purpose that God intends to bring about. Nothing ever can, nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. Nothing can stop God. We have a great Bible description of God's sovereignty. I love this one. If you want to write this down, Job 42 and verse 2. Job said, and by the way, you recognize the name Job. Some things happened to Job, did they not? But they didn't just happen. Job says in Job 42 and verse 2, I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. Job says, there's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you don't know. That's a good description of sovereignty. Daniel 4 and verse 35. And he, God, doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Isaiah 40 verse 28. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. I am God, and there is none else. I am God, 
and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Psalm 96, verses four and five. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Daniel chapter two, verse 20 and 21. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. See, there are some who believe that they got certain people elected yesterday, but the truth is we are told in Daniel 2 that it is God who put men where they were and God is the one who removed people from where they were. Why? Because he's the only sovereign God. And so God is sovereign. When you're going through happenings, going through things, don't forget God is sovereign. He's still God. Think about the throne of God. In Revelation chapters 4 and 5, you'll find 17 times it talks about God's throne. Now keep in mind that in Revelation, John, the writer, is on the Isle of Patmos. He's living in a day when the earth seemed to be shaken. He was living in a time when the Roman Empire was ruled by cruel authority. So it was a shaky time politically and economically in the world. And here's John after being boiled alive in oil and left to die in this concentration camp on the Isle of Patmos. God still gave John a vision of the Lord on the throne. And why was God giving him a vision of the Lord on the throne? Because it was God saying to John, John, you don't have to worry about all that's going down, going on down here on earth. I want you to know I'm on the throne. I'm in charge. Everything's all right in my father's house. See, we question sometimes whether the Lord is on the throne. Why do we question that? Well, there's a number of reasons. Maybe one reason, Brother William, is because we just can't see him on his throne. So if you can't see that well, why are we trying to determine and dictate where God is when you can't even see? You don't have heavenly vision, neither do I. You know, you want somebody to drive you around who can't see, you're in trouble. And sometimes we listen to people trying to tell us how bad things are when they can't see God is on this throne. So how do you know he's on this throne? Because he said he is. And we can trust the sovereignty of God. Have faith in God, the songwriter wrote. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches over his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. See, because he's sovereign, he's on his throne. Because he's sovereign, he's still in control. You know, man has his wickedness, but God has his way. All the wicked conspirators upon earth, they do what they want. God still will have his way. See, the Lord can employ, the Lord can manipulate, the Lord can overrule your circumstances for his glory and the good of others. We've mentioned Romans 8, 28 several times. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Real question is, do you believe that? It's not just do you know it, do you believe it? 
if we believe it, then forget about the ordeal of what happens to you and focus on the outcome and how you handle what happens to you. See, Paul is being transparent here. In this passage, this is like a missionary update. Brother Brock gave us an update in his letter. So here's Paul giving an update. And he says, I want to give you an update concerning my welfare in verse number 12. Then he opens up this statement and it's the grid through which everything he writes is seen through. And the Lord too will take your life lessons and mine and he's going to use them to teach others about him. So Paul writes, I want you to know. There's some things I want you to know. Because my God is sovereign, because he's on his throne, because he's in control, yes, some things have happened to me, but I want you to know some things. See, Paul wanted his brothers and sisters in Philippi to know his story. Paul here, he did not describe the scenery. He didn't explain the plot. Brother Baker, he didn't even identify the villains. But he focused on the climax, the outcome. In fact, you want to read what really happened? You want to find the uh, scenery, the plot, the villains? We talked some about part of it last week, but you'll find it in Acts chapter 21, verse 17, all the way through Acts 28 and verse 31. But here, Paul doesn't talk about the mob attack, false arrest, unfair trial. He doesn't mention the shipwreck we talked about last week. He doesn't even talk about the imprisonment. He takes all that he went through, beaten, left for dead, beaten with rods a couple of times, stoned. This matter of being shipwrecked, left in the deep, attacked by a mob, unfair trial, in prison. Verse number 12 of Philippians chapter 1, all of that is contained in that simple phrase. Some things happened to me. Well, you know that if there were some reporters there, they'd be saying, could you elaborate? And he's saying, no, no, I'm not trying to focus on the ordeal. Here, I'm trying to focus on the outcome. See, Paul had the right attitude about God's work in his life. Paul explains how his circumstances should be understood. So he gives a spiritual perspective of some, of some very worldly, unplanned, unwanted, undesired events. And so when you're going through some happenings in your life, don't forget the sovereignty of God. Roy Lauren, in his commentary on the book of Philippians, says, the Christian's new attitude should be this. And here's Paul's philosophy concerning misfortune. And he says, referring to Job, using Job, Job's problems were not resolved as his counselors expected by an explanation, but rather by an experience of God. Did you get that? See, Job went through some horrific things. Job's counselors tried to explain why. But nothing settled it for Job. No explanation, just mm, satisfied. 
But when he experienced God, that satisfied. In other words, we live our life going forward, but we understand it looking backwards. What does that mean? It means it's always too soon to give up. Always too soon. An immediate response to what happens to you may cause you to miss God's intended purpose of what's happening to you. See, Paul trusted the Lord through the circumstances he could not understand. Verse number 12, he's simply referring to that protective care of God in his life. Paul's confinement could have hindered the gospel. But Paul says, chains, confinement, imprisonment, it's advancing the gospel. It doesn't make sense. But that's because we may not, but God does. He's sovereign. See, the gospel did not advance in spite of his confinement. It advanced through his confinement. The Lord transformed a setback into a springboard. You say, how's that possible? Because God is sovereign. Nothing limits God. Warren Wiersbe wrote, the same God who used Moses' rod, Gideon's pitchers, and David's slings used Paul's chains. Little did the Romans realize that the chains that they affixed to the wrist of Paul would release Paul instead of binding him. Why? Because God is sovereign. The biblical truth speaks to whatever confines you tonight. Whatever it is that may be upon you. You might feel the restrictions of youth. I'm just not old enough. No, God can use the young little you. Or it might be the weakness of old age. God's not limited by that. Or the pain of your sickness. Or the challenges of family life. Or the responsibilities of your work. Or the scarcity of finances. Or the valley of indecision. However, there are things in your life that may confine you. But you do not have to live with the if only Syndrome. The if only syndrome seduces you into thinking you have to be at a certain place at a certain time in a certain way in order for the Lord to use you. I want to tell you the antidote is to recognize that the Lord has no difficulty, no difficulty, absolutely no difficulty working right where you are tonight. So number one, remember that God is Sovereign. Let's say it again. Number one, God is sovereign. Don't forget that. Number two, not only is God sovereign, we only have two points tonight. That'll make you happy? God, I'd come up with a third one. I just couldn't come up with a third one fast enough. So, Number one, God is I just keep saying them enough. It'll be like stretching it out to a third one here. Number two, I love this. Not only is God sovereign, but God is a specialist. He specializes in working through your situation. You say, you don't know mine. No, but I know God. And if you are a human being 
You are made in God's image. Jesus died for you. Therefore, God loves you. He loves you more than you love yourself. He cares more about you than you care about you. And he specializes in working through the circumstances of your life. God is sovereign. Number two, God is a specialist. Say number two with me. God is a? See, unbelievers can only see what happens to them. But people who are close to God focus on what happens to what happens to them. You say, what do you mean when you say what happens to what happens to me? Meaning, things are going to happen to me all the time. Things that I don't plan, things that I don't uh, want, things that I do not desire, things that I do not like. It's going to happen. And while I may not be able to control those things, I can control how I respond to those things. And one of the ways we miss out on the specializing of our sovereign God in our life is by focusing on this ordeal. But we ought to look at it the way Paul looks at it. Some things happen. There was some good stuff, Paul. Well, he'd say it wasn't really all that good. No, but Paul, that would be some stuff you would be a YouTube sensation, Paul, if you would just give me just two minutes to record you. It would be a bestseller if we could just write it down. Well, we did. Luke put it in the book of Acts. But Paul says, you're missing it if you just focus on the stuff that we're going through. See, what is it that God specializes in? He specializes in the impossible. But notice in verse number 12, he specializes in working through our circumstances. In what way? Verse 12, it says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the, look at it, furtherance of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news of the saving work of Jesus Christ. See, the truth is, every one of us are born in sin. Every one of us are sinners by birth. I can tell some people's, um, the, the way their eyes are shaped, the way their hair is colored, and the way the features that they have, that's genetics. It comes from their parents. It's their nationality. And the Bible says we all have a feature that comes from our parents that's traced all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's called sin. And sin, being our problem, has a consequence. It's called hell. Hell is our consequence. You say, that's bad news. Yes. But the good news is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and resurrected, so that whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord should be saved from sin, which is bad, hell, which is bad, because Jesus, he's good and he's the answer. And so Paul says that what's happened to me, it's for the, the multiplication, it's for the furtherance of the good news, the gospel, the saving work of God in Christ. See, God created you and I to glorify Him and to enjoy Him forever. And until we come to the point of settling our salvation, that's not going to happen. I've said it before, the gospel, getting saved, it's more than a ticket just to get to heaven. A lot of times people just, I, I, I know the Lord like I know I've got a spare tire in the trunk of my vehicle. 
It's in case there's an emergency. But that's not Bible salvation. Jesus didn't die on the cross just to save you from going to hell and take you to heaven. If so, everybody who gets saved, you'd go to heaven immediately. He saved us so that he can take us and he can lead us and develop us and equip us for what? For the furtherance of the gospel. So that people can get saved. So that we don't go to heaven empty handed. You don't go to heaven with what you've earned. You don't go to heaven with what you've hoarded. You go to heaven only with those that you bring with you. Who you've led to Jesus Christ. And so he says it's the furtherance to advance the gospel. How did Paul's imprisonment advance the gospel? Well he answers it in verse 13 and 14. These verses show us two ways the Lord works through the circumstances. Verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Verse 14, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, first of all, there are unbelievers. Verse 12 and 13, speaking of unbelievers who are influenced for Christ. How you respond to what you go through is going to impact and affect those who need to be saved. See, the Roman government arrested and imprisoned Paul. But Paul was not a prisoner of Rome. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He says, you didn't lock me up. Christ did. He put me here. You're trying to get rid of me. God's looking for you. See, Paul conducted himself more than a prisoner on trial. He conducted himself as an ambassador for Christ. And it became manifest to the whole imperial guard that if Paul was guilty of anything, he was guilty of being a Christian. Everyone in Rome who met or heard about Paul concluded he's in prison for Christ. And this led to an all-important question that people had. Who is this Christ? And Paul was eager to answer. Now, around here, people know who Jesus is. They know it by name. I know Jesus. But maybe if they saw you respond as an ambassador, they may be asking, what kind of religion do you have? What, what, what is it that, that you know that I don't know? And we know that it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And Paul, literally as a prisoner, he had a captive audience. He's preaching to those who are watching him. And lost people were saved through Paul's imprisonment. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, he writes, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Well, why are they greeting the church? Because they got saved because Paul focused not on what happened to him, but on how he handled what happened to him. You have questions? Why me? Why this? Why now? Anyone ever ask those questions? Why me? Why this? Why now? Anyone ever think those things? Let me answer the question with a question. Is it possible that the Lord has placed you in that unwanted situation 
simply to use you to win someone to Jesus Christ. You might not be chained to an imperial guard like Paul, but I guarantee you, you're being watched. You're being watched by an unbelieving family member that might live with you or near you. You're being watched by co-workers at the job you cannot stand. You're being watched by doctors and nurses who treat your sickness. You're being watched by friends and followers on social media. You're being watched by people who know you, but they don't yet know Christ. Layman Strauss said, A real test of the genuineness of Christian profession is witnessed when one finds himself under pressure, under provocation, or persecution. But not just unbelievers were influenced, but also verse 14, he tells us that the brethren, God's people were influenced. See, Paul says, my bonds, my imprisonment. He owned it because he knew the Lord was working through it. So he said, these are my bonds. This is my my situation. This is my happenings. But Paul's imprisonment, it helped the saints gain confidence in the Lord. You're going through a trial. Are you going through the greatest trial of your life? How you respond to the fact that God is sovereign and God is a specialist may encourage other people of God who might be going through something that's not as big in your eyes, but it's the biggest thing that they've gone through. See, a key to to this and a key to to understanding this is that spiritual boldness. And that's what God's people receive. They see Paul, they hear Paul, they got some spiritual boldness. Spiritual boldness is the result of being with Jesus. And the key way to be with Jesus is to be with others who have also been with Jesus. You know what complainers tend to do? They get around other complainers. What critical people tend to do? They get around other critical people. You know what bold people for Jesus do? They get around other bold people who are bold for Jesus. See, when you rejoice in the Lord through it all, the Lord can use you to strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ. But Christ must be more important than your personal agenda. See, Paul wanted to preach in Rome. Didn't get that opportunity, but his imprisonment created a movement of courageous preachers. Paul joyfully accepted this because Christ meant everything to him. So you may not be the one the Lord uses to do it. You may only be the one the Lord uses to encourage the ones he will use to do it. And the Lord may use your current struggles to facilitate success in the gospel arena. Let me ask you, are you okay with that? I want to tell you this. You can't handle anything if Christ is your everything. And then Paul addresses the rest of the crowd, verses 15 through 17. I won't go into that. He just simply is saying, there are some saints in Rome who spoke boldly the word without fear, but they had different motives. Some proclaimed Christ sincerely, others proclaimed Christ hypocritically, and Paul became the victim of friendly fire. And 
it did not matter. They, um, Paul said, whether they did it in spite of me to hurt me. And in other words, some may have looked at Paul and said, I tell you, Paul's in jail because he didn't know when to keep his mouth shut. You know, if Paul would have been a little bit more kind in his approach, he wouldn't be. And, and Paul's saying, it didn't matter if they put him down as long as they lifted Christ up. Again, you can handle anything when Christ is your everything. Let me give you two things in closing. Hanley Page, he was a pioneer in the aviation realm, and he landed in an isolated area one time during his travels. Unknown to him, a rat got on board of the plane. On the next leg of his flight, Hanley Page, he could hear the sound of gnawing. And he suspected it was a rodent and his heart began to pound as he visualized the damage that could be done to the fragile mechanics of the plane. Now, I would have been beside myself just because there would have been a rat on board regardless of the mechanics of the plane. Uh, I have a completely different way of, of processing those things and, and um, wasn't as afraid of some of these rodents when I had Mesa around, but uh, since Mesa is no longer on the scene, it kind of changed my life, and and um, now it's back to Christy. You got to handle it, and um, one of the things that Henley Page remembered, however, is that rats cannot survive at certain high altitudes. He pulled back on his stick and the airplane climbed higher and higher until Paige himself found it very difficult to breathe. He sighed with relief when the gnawing sounds ended, however. When he landed, he found that his assessment was correct. There was a rat behind the cockpit and rising to that high altitude, it killed the rat. Let me ask you a question. Has the, rat, has the rat of discouragement crawled into the plane of your life? Is it eating away at your internal systems? If you don't get it fixed, you're going to crash. But here's the truth. Discouragement cannot breathe where Christ is exalted. Amen. The higher your faith climbs, the safer you are. Amen. Go back to Jim McLaren. Remember him from the beginning? Jim McLaren faced a choice that night in Hawaii. Only 33 years old, the truth is, he didn't want to die. But neither did he want to live as a quadriplegic. It was something he couldn't change. So he decided that night to make peace with what had happened to him. Jim determined that instead of being afraid of solitude, he'd find a way to use it. His classical education led him to read about men who had been wounded. But he never found real comfort until he read the story of Job. It was in the 10th reading through the book of Job before Jim realized that God worked through trials and troubles simply to draw men closer to him. Shortly after that, Jim began working on his doctoral dissertation at the Pacifica Graduate Institute in Santa Barbara, California. And he began to examine the results of being wounded in body, mind, and spirit. And people on a regular basis, as 
just a, as a magnet were drawn to Jim and would come to him constantly to find comfort and counsel. And for many years until Jim died in about 2010, he offered them the voice of someone who understood that things, well, they happened to everybody. But things never just happen. And it's what happens to the things that happen to you that make all the difference. Let's stand together, please.